You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattle Snake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy. And a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food. And music. And comedy. And sports. Inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Denver, 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 Hello and welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most adrenaline-obsessed city between Silverton and Steamboat Springs. I'm Ron Doyle. Joining me today at the Daniels and Fisher Clock Tower are co-host and uh, new engineer, <laughs> Vanessa Martinez. Hi, Vanessa. Howdy, Ron. We're, we're getting it. We're rocking it. Yeah, Excited. I'm learning. Uh, also joining us this morning uh, is uh, Luke Hattlestead, uh writer and articles editor at 5280 Magazine. Hello. Is that is that still your title? Uh, articles editor, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. I didn't, you're so busy. I, I don't know if they gave you some other special. <laughs> well, hopefully soon. We'll see. <laughs> this week, uh, we inject ourselves into Colorado's bloodstream, seeking to understand the perilous obsession with epinephrine, our adorable neurotransmitters, uh, you know, the ones that are behind those risky behaviors we take on bikes in the mountains and with our ballot measures. But first, some newsy beat, newsy bits. Uh, Denver, Newsy Beats. Newsy Beats. <laughs> newsy I beats. like Newsy Beats. Hey, hey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Denver finds lead in its city water and warns residents to limit exposure to water. So I've had this theory for a while that there's something wrong with the folks that, are, that live in, in the Highland neighborhood anyway. <laughs> and now I know what it is. They're drinking lead. Uh, yeah, they... Uh, they've been doing some tests recently, and they've found uh, higher than up to triple the uh, the recommended levels of lead in uh, a large number of homes here in, in Denver, to the point that they're going to have to send out letters to everyone in the entire city warning us that we might not want to drink our tap water, uh, or we might not want to make baby formula. Uh, yeah, as as we're as, we as we're all <laughs> sitting around with our our fine glasses of tap cool water. brisk yeah. tap water, in the clock tower, which almost <laughs> certainly has yeah, let's, lead pipes. Let's assume it has older pipes. Yeah. <laughs> we can assume. Yeah, so it's for all. It's all for homes uh, older than fifty years old. And I was just wondering, you know, don't we already have uh, hasn't this? How did how is this changing all of a sudden? This is sort of strange to me. Why wouldn't this already have been an issue before? Why is it just now popping up? And becoming more of a problem. Do you guys have any idea? I, I, was it some initiative or some newly discovered? No, they're doing the same tests that they've always done. It's just that the levels have been increasing over the years. It's getting worse for some reason, and I was, I'm not sure. And suddenly, it's doing. come to a, a dangerous point. When last it, year it it's, wasn't. It's now they've they've found it in enough homes that they're getting concerned. Yes, that's. Does that suggest there are more uh, sensitive testing methods? Maybe that are. May, yeah, maybe it's more sensitive testing methods. I, I'm, my, my theory is that there are just more folks uh, using uh, older homes as, as their primary residence and uh, the homes that are getting tested more frequently. Because you, know, you think about where they're testing these homes, it, the people that are requesting tests probably have funding or they're in the real estate, they're buying a new house, they're selling a new house, something like that. And in that process, you get the water tested, then you find out. So maybe it's just these older homes are turning over a lot faster. I don't know. It was just interesting to me. I finally have an explanation for why everyone up there is so wacko. And uh, yet, do if if you're concerned, <laughs> if you have a house that's over the, older than 50 years old, uh, go get it tested. Go go to Denver Water. Uh, go to their website. Check it out. And the, the only way to fix it is to get new pipes, right? The only I way mean, to fix it is to get new pipes. Although they did say, as pipes get older, there are other things in Colorado water. Uh, some of the calcium deposits that will actually coat the pipe 
in a way that makes it okay, uh, okay. where it's not it's not threatening and the levels are pretty low. We are again we're talking we're talking like 45 parts per billion. It's very very small amounts, but uh, if you have kids or something, if you have kids, it's worth that, yeah. it's worth being concerned. Uh, I'm pretty sure my youngest daughter has been drinking lead, but we'll get that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Uh, so no, no surprise. Uh, we've talked about this before. Um, Frank Bonanno, the uh, the restaurant magnate here in town, has taken over Lancer Lounge, and plans to turn it into the Vesper Lounge, uh, which he says is going to be just like Cheers. <laughs> G given your demographics, we might want to mention that Cheers was a very popular sitcom. In the <laughs> no, no. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Our, our, our demographic is, is – yeah, good call. Yeah, our, our demographic uh, has seen it in syndication. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> our demographic has Netflix. Well, they should. It's fantastic. Heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, it's, we, we talked about this. We theorized before if, if Frank would take it over because he already owns uh, two restaurants on either side of the of the Lancer Lounge and you know it's just been sitting there for years. Right. With him going, Oh man, I'd love to own that place. Well so it's it's just a, a staging ground for his two restaurants that flank it, right? I mean it's, yeah, it's, it's perfect. It's a waiting room. Right. It's a waiting room with a big bar for his two restaurants. So it's it's perfect for him. It's very interesting. I am very curious. He says he does not plan on getting too crazy uh, with the remodel. He says he's just his focus right now is just doing a getting a liquor license, adding a couple more taps uh, than what the Lancer Lounge had, and sort of. He said he's going to gussy it up a little bit, but not much. I, do you believe this? Uh, well, I, he, I, I I'm a I'm a fan of a lot of Bonanno establishments, of course, but I it's really bold to say that you're going to be your bar is going to be like Cheers before it opens. Sure. I mean, Cheers is what it or was what it was is what it is because of the people there. So you can't really make that state, you know. Yeah, right. Cheers is not the decor. No. Right. Per se. Cheers became Cheers because of who walked into it and spent time there and so forth. Yeah, exactly right. Although yeah. I have to say, it, it's very refreshing that someone's opening a bar that, that is not a microbrew, microbrewery. Yeah, that's a good point. Once. I mean, it's just a regular bar, you know. So that's it's just a straight up bar. Yeah, yeah. that is that yes. is interesting that he's he's not going that route. He's not immediately taking the opportunity to, to do some one-barrel nano-brewery right. uh, for his own <laughs> restaurants. Or fancy mixology, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, sure... Yeah, you even said, I'm not going to do the mixology thing. Yeah, that's is, great. Yeah. I love that. I do, can I just get and a drink? tonics and beers. Yes. Right. Yeah, and that, that's another thing he did say is he does not... They might, they might have a few specialty drinks, but he does not plan on having the extensive, crazy cocktail list like you would get at somewhere like Root Down or uh, Williams and Graham. He's not going to do that. He's, he's, it's going to be a bar. We're going to have booze on tap. You know what you want. Tell me what you want, and we'll make it. Awesome. So that, that, sound, uh, that sounded promising. Mm -hmm. We'll see. The, the uh, dive bar contingent out there, I'm sure, is you're not pleased, guys. I'm sorry. Well, and Lancer, Lancer was pretty cool, I mean, as dive bars go. And, and hopefully, cool hopefully they can maintain some of that feel. You yeah. Know? I, yeah, I am curious to know if the, the regulars at Lancer will, will come back no matter what the name and who the owner is. Yeah. Uh, I, guess, I, I would guess the, the big limiting factor will be price. That's yeah. going to be the thing that will drive away the characters that made Lancer Lounge so fascinating. Um, maybe. Who knows? They'll be there at happy hour. When's it supposed to open? <laughs> uh, he's, he's planning to have it open by, uh, by Thanksgiving. Great. Yeah. Wow, that's quick. Yeah, very quick. Uh, Denver approves a liquor license for Trader Joe's at 7th in Colorado, neener, neener, boulder, we get the liquor. <laughs> we get the two-buck chuck. So, uh, yeah, they, um, they have been approved for their liquor license. As you know, in Colorado, uh, grocery stores are not allowed to have more than one liquor license uh, per the business. So they, they get their one, and they've chosen to have it here in Denver. So I'm excited. Me too, and I'd like to state for the record that way back when the Trader Joe's news was announced, I was the only one on the diatribe who thought that the Denver that Denver the Denver store would get the liquor license. Really? Everybody else said, "No, it's going to be Boulder." You, Jared? Did I? Yes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> what was, was your hunch based on? Uh, just the fact that Boulder is already overly concentrated in liquor. I mean, it's just they there's it. yeah, there's so much it's a liquor smaller in market. The sma yeah. There, yeah. There's a, the potential for liquor sales. I think is greater as a business. I would want more customers coming in the door and buying liquor. Definitely. 
Huh, interesting. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It is kind of interesting, though. They are planning on doing, the way they're doing this Trader Joe's is going to be a little different than uh, if you've been to one uh, on the West Coast, for example. The, the liquor store is going to be a completely, it's going to be immediately next door, but it's going to be completely separated right. from the grocery store. They're not going to have a, a passageway between the grocery store and the liquor store. So I actually think Trader Joe's is positioning itself in a way to convince Colorado legislators that it's okay. No, we're a separate entity. We're a separate liquor store. Uh, so we're going to uh, – so can we please open this up elsewhere? Uh, I think they're trying to get it. They're going to try and get it everywhere else. But it's not just grocery stores that can't have uh, repetitive liquor license. L liquor licenses in Colorado, it's everybody. So if you look at in um, Total Beverage, for example, in uh -huh. uh, Westminster – there's Total Beverage Westminster and then Total Beverage, which I believe is in Thornton. Uh, yes. You cannot own two liquor stores. You, you can't have two liquor stores with the same name. You can't have a chain of liquor stores here. Huh. It's just, that's the law. So it, that doesn't mean that it won't change. They've been trying to change all of our laws. you know. So I think it's, it is, like you said, very smart of them to do that. But here's the other thing. That Total Beverage... They also just opened, not them, but former employees, longtime managers of Total Beverage, opened Hazel's, which is the new giant liquor store in Boulder, which happens to be on the corner of 28th and Canyon, which is very close to where the Trader Joe's is going to be. So they opened that first. It is the largest liquor store in Boulder County. Their um, beer cooler is the third largest liquor store in Boulder County. It's <laughs> giant. So That's fitting. Yeah. And, and they've got some great technology in there that allows them to see what uh, change prices immediately. They've got the digital pricing, so they don't have to go around and retag things. So if they decide that, let's say, the liquor I'm store sorry. down the street wants to charge, you know, is charging a lot less for something, and they want to bring their prices down, they can do it immediately. I love technology. Wow, that's don't Amazonian. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I love, I love technology. Don't get me wrong. But I don't like that at all. <laughs> Although I could see it being very useful. You see a certain client, uh, you see a certain customer come in the door, and you just push the alert button, and all the prices on his favorite booze go up. <laughs> so because he he, because he's going to be buying it anyway. Because he's going to buy it anyway. You know what he's going in for, and you just Something tells me it's boop. not that e quite that easy, but yeah. How long, uh, how long before a CU hacker decides to tap into that system? I know, for, exactly for right. Hey, price listed right there, 99 cents for the handle of Stolio. So, all right. Um, what, do you, what do you guys think of food trucks? They've, they've, they've been doing their thing. They, they're still pretty hot. They've been around. For, I, I, I read somewhere that, that the food truck phenomena has really only been around for three years in Denver. It feels like a little longer. Um, but, uh, yeah, do you think it's still going strong? you think it's sort of dying out? You, do you love it? Do you hate it? It, it, it seems, uh, you know, we follow it pretty closely with Amanda at the, at the magazine. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, I think the, the boom in it has resulted in, like any other boom would, um, sort of a mixed bag of, of available, you know, products. So, so some of them are fantastic and unique, and, and some of them are sort of just jumping on the bandwagon, literally. Um, and... You know, you just sort of have to pick and choose. I mean, I like the trend personally, and just you know, as as a member of a city like this, it's fantastic to you know just the sort of the the gonzo aspect of it of where it's, where is it going to be this week or that you know that day or whatever. Um, but I can you know you can see where it would start to get watered down a little bit yeah. and maybe jump the shark or begin to think about jumping the shark. Mm. Um, I don't know. I, Amanda would know better than I would, of course. I, I mean, I think the key word that Luke uses is trend. I, it's, I think right now it is still too early to know if, if there's going to be anything truly lasting because it, it is so trendy. It caught fire in uh, all of the food network, you know, the oh, food yeah, truck totally. races and all of these things. Um, you know, I think really – and also the economy, I think, has contributed to this, right? That's at least what yeah, some people definitely. have theorized, that because um, food trucks – generally serve uh, cheaper food, not all of them, but you can, you know, in an economy like this, a lot of people will flock to the food trucks because they get a great deal, especially at those places that are really kind of gourmet food being sold out of a food truck. Um, how long that will last, I think, I think it's going to have a lot to do with, with pocketbook. See, it's interesting that you mentioned price because that's really my biggest criticism of the food truck is that I think their prices are inflated. I don't, 
for what you get, uh, I mean, when you go to a restaurant and you pay a certain price, you're paying for the service, you're paying for the experience. Uh, at the food truck, you're paying for the food and just the food, and, and you're waiting in line for it uh, like a schlub. So the, the prices that they're charging, I think, are a little high for the amount of food you get. That's well, just my thing. I'm also a little bitter about the food truck thing because back in 2006, I decided I wanted to start a food truck, and the <laughs> furthest I got was a cooler full of candy on, on the back of my bike uh, at Coors Field, and I, I never followed through. Now I feel like I missed that wave. So yeah, yeah, that sounds like infrastructure problems. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, without a doubt. <laughs> Definitely infrastructure problems. Well, I think yeah. you also have to take into account, you're not just getting that. So I have this conversation with a lot of people because my husband and I have a mobile food vending license and yes. I help him in the summer with his business. Um, we decided explicitly not to invest in a truck because they are very expensive, especially to so expensive. remodel and gas. I was just driving looking, all was around just to do this. At the, the gas the prices. stationary sort of kiosk cart. The very minimum, those little aluminum carts you see on the 16th Street Mall, uh, like they serve hot dogs out of. And they're like four grand. They're, it's yeah. ridiculous. They're really expensive. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm also I'm, I'm very curious why it's, why it's just a truck. Why can't we have other vehicles? I really want to see the food Camino, <laughs> the, the food van. Why, why, can't, why does it always have to be a truck? I, I think there are food vans out there, actually. Food vans. I don't there know if food we have vans. any in Colorado. Okay. But. I've seen food trailers. I've seen food trucks. I have not yet seen a food convertible, and that just really sort of irritates me. Well, I I'll tell you, having just happen. gone through the licensing, it's going to be a very long time before you can do something with a, an El Camino <laughs> yeah, that, will, that will meet the standards of the health department. Yeah, I don't know how you get two sinks into a convertible, but I, folks, if you're feeling <laughs> entrepreneurial out there, this is my dream. Um, yeah, uh, rickshaw, rickshaw, come on, rickshaw. All right, anyway, um, I, there may be evidence that the food truck uh, trend has reached its peak, and there's actually becoming pushback from the community, because Auraria Campus has declared a new policy that limits food truck access uh, to the students. Uh, they are only allowed to have four food trucks and only on Mondays. And they have to pay licensing to get onto campus because they were being overrun with just swarms of mangy food trucks uh, showing up, rolling up uh, during the lunch hour. And uh, apparently they're sick of it, so they're they're pushing are back. Are the students also th sick of it? Oh no, the students I are quite upset so, yeah. about this. The students are very upset. They say, you know, the campus offers us options like McDonald's, uh, Subway, and, Subway, yeah. and and at nearly the same price. And now they're taking away all these interesting options that we have available to us, and they think it's quite unfair. Um, yeah, it seems like an overcorrection if they're limiting it to one day and four trucks. I mean, yeah, right. I, you you got to wonder what the if the motivation was financial or if it was they were having a problem with just too many trucks blocking traffic, uh, causing you know congestion issues, or if it's because their their cafeteria was not making as much money as they had hoped. Uh, yeah, what's I would guess that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, um, you know that that's good. I've got I've got more, but I'm I'm gonna save them. Okay, it, it's not a big deal. We we don't really want to talk about fast tracks not doing what we'd hoped. Boring. Boring. That's not a surprise. <laughs> With no We want we want thrills and chills. So let's move on. All right. Well, that that's that's it for the Newsy Bits <laughs> listeners. If you ever want to share a news story with us, rant about something we said, or shower us with gifts of two buck chuck and lift tickets, please leave a comment on DenverDiatribe.com. Like us on Facebook or drop a line at 720-282-YELL. All right, let's – so this thing happened on Tuesday. Did you guys hear about this? Uh, vaguely, I remember. Yeah, yeah it's a uh, – I'm trying to – electra – election. That's, that's the word. Yeah, so – wow. Yeah. There you go. Election. It's done. Thank God I, the robocalls have stopped. I'm mercifully re relieved. Did you guys just get harassed? Yeah. Yes. Mailings, calls, the ads obviously were over the top. I had folks contacting me on Twitter. I had folks trying to friend me on Facebook. I had uh, people showing up to my door, phone calls, emails, all of it. I, don't, I had it I, in two languages. In two languages? <laughs> because of my last name. Right. Yes. I'm feeling slighted. I speak as much Spanish as it's you. It's my last name. 
Yeah, that's true. Doyle. They didn't speak to me in an Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. That, that phase is finally over. We can sort of relax. But the conversation is not done uh, because Colorado, we've passed some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, 3A and 3B went through, as I predicted. Thank <laughs> you very much. Uh, and as Josh Johnson predicted, Amendment 64 went through and, and became... I don't think people fully realized what a big deal it was until the public reaction from the rest of the country started coming in. Right. It's, it was one of the most talked about uh, topics on Twitter the night of the election. Of course, oh. we're talking about the marijuana initiative. Right. Right. See, I'm talking about it as if everybody yeah, doesn't know. <laughs> knows. For those of you who have if been you're in Colorado, you're probably days. intimately acquainted with uh, Amendment 64. Yeah, so uh, Amendment 64, uh, the regulate marijuana like alcohol uh, bill. Uh, Amendment act, uh, act did uh, did go through. It did pass uh, with a larger margin than most anyone expected. Uh, yeah, I was shocked by that. I thought it, I thought it might squeak by, and I was fully prepared for it to, to lose. Just at the last minute, you know, the antis would you know do a last minute push, and then that would sort of make everybody you know reluctant to finally pull that lever. Yes, I was dead wrong because it passed by what almost ten points. Yeah, by by a, a considerable margin, and. You got to wonder why. Uh, why did it pass by such a large margin? What do you What do you think? What was it about this particular election or this particular phase of our evolution as a state? I have a theory, but I, I'm, I'd like to hear what other folks think. I mean, what, are we just ready? Are we just sick of the ruse that people are uh, using marijuana for medicinal purposes, and that the medis whole medicinal marijuana industry is actually just a front for the legalization movement? I mean, I, I personally think there are so many – I think that's one of the reasons it was so successful is because there are, everybody has kind of a different reason for wanting it to pass. Right. There's the decriminalization side. There's the legalization side, which I, I think is also made up of people who really – you know, it's made up of stoners. And it's also made up of people who really want to see marijuana tax for the benefit of more taxes in the, in the community. Right. So I think it it on a in a large way it appealed to a lot of different kinds of people, which I think is what made it so interesting to watch, and it was so unpredictable. It's not like you know we don't have Nate Silver in here doing his his no, math he, magic. No, he's right. not running his numbers on. Well, on there this. isn't really there uh, where there's no historical model for it. Really, I mean there are some that have tried to pass, but this was really different. The way that it was marketed was pretty brilliant, mm -hmm. um, and I think. You know, despite a lot of people coming out against it, a lot of official organizations coming out against it, they didn't really make a good case. They all kind of sounded a little bit uh, like fear mongers. And in this election especially, there was so much fear mongering going on. I think that, that it, it just it dis it, it turned people off to them. Well, and I also think there, there's a, in, particularly in Colorado, there's a libertarian aspect to it. Yes. Um, there's an economic aspect to it that, that you know, and we've, you know, we've obviously in many uh, instances reached a point economically where whatever the revenues are, they're going to help. Um, I think the medical marijuana industry has shown itself with, you know, with some exceptions, but generally speaking, has shown itself to be uh, a law-abiding, productive, you know, conscientious industry. And people thought, you know, it's, it's sort of helped to, to undemonize weed in general. And um, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of factors taken into account. And, and the, you know, the youth vote, I think you're right, the fear-mongering uh, from the right about every other thing probably drove more young people, young women to the polls. Um, and it's, it's something that's long overdue. I hope we can do it correctly because, you know, all, all eyes are going to be on us. And, uh, but, but it's something, it's a common sense measure in many ways as long as we now, you know, execute it properly. Right. right. And there's a lot of work to be done on, on, on that level. So there's still going to be a lot, you know, there, there, this was just a, a very first step. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's so many different things to, f to figure out because uh, the, the laws – Public service announcement, folks. Marijuana is not legal just yet. So to the <laughs> to the dudes strolling through our our condo complex, my wife would like to tell you, get <laughs> off our property. Uh, she, this happened the immediate the day after. It was it was an obvious celebratory uh, act, uh, just happening, you know, in our parking lot. And um, so yeah, it's not legal yet. They're going to have to figure out: is it something that is it going to be treated like alcohol, where you the open, open container law. Right. Uh, are they going to be able? Are you going to let marijuana be out in public? 
or not? Um, or is it going to be more like cigarettes where it's just banned in certain spaces? Uh, is it going to uh, be treated like uh, cigarettes as if it's a public health issue uh, where advertising will then disappear? Um, that's something I've been very curious about. Uh, mm -hmm. if, if the tobacco industry is going to come back and say, look, you've already established precedent that smoke is bad, so you're going to have to stop advertising for marijuana as well. I, I'm curious to see if that will happen. And, and then very curious to see what will happen at Westward if that does happen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, golly, that back page. All right. Uh, no, uh, but yeah, there the, are, there's so many different factors that we've got to figure out. Well, and, and uh, the biggest one probably is how the feds are going to handle it. So, right. you know, Hickenlooper's already reached out to, to the feds to see, you know, uh, how we might cooperate in that. And here's something I don't understand. Maybe you guys do. Um, how hard would it be to get marijuana reclassified down the schedule from schedule one down to like three or four where it belongs? I don't know how that works because if they did that, that, that would be a way for the feds to say, well, we don't have to enforce that so much anymore because it's not as serious. You know, that would put it like with Xanax or something like that. Yes. Um, so I don't know what the process is for that or, you know, how that works, but it seems like something that would be, that would be, be an easy end around to the law enforcement questions. And, you know, they, the, the federal government is going to they, – they now have no choice. They did a good job in the last four years. They started out at the very beginning. Uh, President Obama said we are not going to uh, fight with the medical marijuana uh, situation in California and Colorado and the other states that did. And then a couple of years later, when things started, you know, right, understandably so, whenever California started getting a little loose. Uh, Definitely. Their, it's law I behavior. have friends out there, it's, and I used to live there for many years, and it's, it's really lawless out it's, there. It's, very, it's become very lawless. Then the federal government started pushing back. You know, a lot of the raids that have been happening in California have not happened here in Colorado because we have done a good job of establishing the proper governing infrastructure to manage what's going on. Yes, are there people that are claiming their chronic snowboarding injury is, is justification for weed? Absolutely. Are there shady doctors? No doubt. But in general, we do have the, the mechanisms in place to make it work right. Yeah. And I, I think we're being acknowledged for that. I, really, the, the most interesting part of it for me was that Oregon did not pass. And I was, I was wondering why. Um, also, neener, neener, Portland. We're <laughs> further proof we're cooler than you. Ha-ha, there you go. Um, I, I sort of expected it to pass there as well, but I guess it doesn't matter to them because they can just go it, to Washington. It wasn't the same uh, amendment either. It, it didn't was have worded differently, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Had, it, it was different language, and from the beginning it was seen as of the three the weakest. So I don't know the specifics, but I know that uh, Mr. Breathes over at Westward uh, did yes. write about – the three and kind of it did a, a comparative look at all of them and uh, so if you go online I'm, you can you can take a look at that and and maybe figure some of that out Ron okay all right I'll go read I'll do some reading <laughs> um, I actually have a different theory I actually think that uh, amendment 64 uh, passed because we want to be first uh, we have this obsession here in Colorado with being first we want to we want to prove to the country that we can we can do these things uh, initially, and there was no chance we were going to let Washington be the first. Uh, we, we were at bare minimum going to be right there next to them at the same time. And I was, I was curious if, if uh, you folks, uh, if, if either of you agree that we sort of have that, that bug in us, that, that competitive nature even in politics. Well, it's, it's certainly evolving that way. I mean, in the six years I've been here, um, it, the state has become even more of a landing ground for, you know, expats from the coasts. Uh, you know, there's been much – we've written a lot about um, just the transplants sort of transforming the city, not just in stuff like this, but also with the arts, with music, with restaurants. Um, and I think there's something to that theory. Obviously, it's not an organized effort to be first, but I think, you know, the people that come here – uh, feel like I, that they have discovered this sort of tr secret treasure that no one else knows about because we're a square state with no water. Uh, but yep. now, now it turns out, wow, you know, like I've had a lot of you know friends come here or other visitors come here and say, wow, this, this is a really cool city. Like they they're surprised by that. Yeah. And, and and there's definitely a feeling among people here. Um, it reminds me when I lived in the Bay Area. People in Berkeley had this sort of smugness about them, where like, oh, you know, we've discovered like the, the you know, Nirvana on Earth, and um, I, we haven't reached the smug point yet, thankfully. 
but Boulder um, has well, Boulder, Boulder's, <laughs> Boulder, oh yeah, there. Boulder, yeah, Highland but, is 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 and Hi- yeah, Highland is inching close. towards smugness, definitely. <laughs> um, but at the same, you know, but it's I, I sort of feel uh, like I'm on the forefront of something pretty cool just by virtue of living in Denver now, and that that has that's changed noticeably just in the six years I've been here. Yeah, it, you know, I do think. Uh, the you know the the transplants have certainly done a lot for the changing demographic. I, I don't. Do you think that's Vanessa? Do you think that's part of the reason why we've become we've shifted from a consistently red state to a consistently purple state? Absolutely. Yes. I'm you think from it's a, you this, think I'm it's from the Colorado. transplants? Uh, yeah, I, I do. I think it the transplants help. I mean, it's been happening for so long. Since you know, I mean, in, in my lifetime, thirty the last thirty five years, increasingly. You see our population grow. I mean, one of those things we look at, I was just looking at, was the Electoral College. And you see, you know, how we have, we now have nine votes. We used to have eight not so long ago. That was 2000. So these things are, they're, they're not just people coming here and voting the way, bringing their own values with them. It's that they're coming here, the values are mixing together, and you've got people who are native Coloradans either embracing that or slowly adopting it you know there 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 is absolutely you can't fight it so you you're either going i mean you can you can move to wyoming if you want to uh but few people are are really going to do that i think we're just obsessed with uh being in the spotlight i think we like being noticed i really think that's all it is we just like the adrenaline rush of being a swing state that (laughs) that (laughs) that that those that we want to and i think we hold our cards close to our chest uh all the way up until the last moment. So you don't really know. And it's just because we want people to watch us. And, and it's, damn, was it fun to be one of the handful of states that people actually cared about on election night. Every, you know, the whole map is sort of already laid out before the night, before the election even begins. We're in one of those few places where people are going, what's going to happen in Colorado? And uh, that, I, think, I think we enjoy that. I think we revel in that. Except uh, for the commercials. Yeah, well, I was going to say, with, with an asterisk, <laughs> because some of it was of miserable. Being, yeah. yeah, With the exception of being completely, completely pushed. It, was, it, was election night fun for, for either of you? No. Actually, no. I mean, I, I was delighted at the result, but uh, uh, I was ten times more, more anxious on, than I was in 08. And um, just even during the day i was you know i was walking uh, downtown at lunchtime on election day before i went home to watch the returns and i'm crossing with the light you know at the crosswalk and this suv is sort of leaning on me to turn right as he's turning right and like inching into the crosswalk to get me to sort of scurry along and i turn around and he's got a texas rangers hat on i'm going to knock that fucking hat off his head <laughs> you know and it's just like, i've never hit anybody in my life but i was just i was just p- pumped up and it was not a pleasant feeling you know i mean i i, I don't like adrenaline which is going to segue into our next segment yeah but, right but uh you know so there's there's definitely a downside to that i mean i was happy with how it turned out but man was it tense you know during the questionable part of it See, I have, I have some friends who are very heavily involved in campaigning, and they get off on this stuff. Right? I, I do. You do? I, yeah, okay. I love yeah. it. Tell, tell us about your election night. What so I actually, it, was, it was pretty spontaneous. I ended up going up to Avogadro's member in Fort Collins, which, uh, you know, I, I lived in Fort Collins for 11 years, but uh, where our co-host Josh was um, <laughs> hosting live, an, an election – Election party. Yeah, live live <laughs> tweeting. Yeah. About uh, about the the uh, the the polls on uh, the exit polls on his sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and Avos is a great place for you know Fort Collins. Old Town Fort Collins is is so it's a very uh, community driven and involved place. So it's a fun place to be. And Fort Collins, especially Larimer County, for the last. Uh, Ten years, at least, has been. It's it's been one of the kind of swing counties. Uh, this is the first election in, in which, after the redistricting, uh, Larimer County is now most likely going to have a Democratic uh, congressional district representative. Jared Polis is that person. Um, so it's it's interesting. But the the party was fun. The place was packed. Um, I didn't have the anxiety over the presidential election, but I did. I was so interested in seeing sixty five. And uh, I was really, it, it was fun to be in a place where you're just, where you're watching with a lot of other people who are really intently focused on 
the screen, which that night, because we were in a very liberal enclave, uh, was MSNBC. So, you know, they're tracking as they were going Tammy Baldwin and uh, the other marijuana measures and, and gay rights measures. So it, it, those were the kinds of things we were watching throughout the evening. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, I was watching a romantic comedy because <laughs> I couldn't. I, I, I was like, no, I, I've already read 538 blog. I've already read Nate Silver's predictions. Right now, as it, as it moves from east to west, it's going to look real bad, and I don't want to watch that part. So, I so you went with in, Innate We Trust? <laughs> in, I went with Innate We Trust. I really did. I, I, not, not fully, uh, but enough so that I was not concerned. Um, and what, may I ask, what was the romantic comedy you were watching? <laughs> it was, uh, it was uh, Think Like a Man, the, the one that's based on Steve Harvey's uh, relationship <laughs> book. Wow. wow. And it was yeah. great. <laughs> I loved it. It was fantastic. It was way better than watching the numbers be, uh, be all screwy. I just wait till the end, till all the polls are closed before I actually started paying attention. I, I thought it was kind of, I, I hate to say this, but it was a little bit uneventful because it was such a big victory that it. Yeah, you know, it was, that was surprising. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th I was surprised to see it be such a big victory, but it was also a little bit disappointing because, you know, we were expecting to be there. Oh, we're going to be here all night. And we're going to have to wait for weekends right. and all of these things are going to happen. And it's like, oh. And you could see the network sort of <laughs> sort of thinking, well, we have to do something to be here all night. So. Well, it was <laughs> it was very interesting to see uh, places like NPR uh, who are not so beholden to keeping people's attention the entire time were calling things a lot faster than the major networks. The major yeah, networks very were slow. very hesitant to right. call things that were clearly, you know, states that were clearly done. Uh, they were holding back because they're like, we've got... Four hours of programming left. What are we going to do? Ohio's already decided. Uh, so they, they would hold back, and they, they really waited a long time, uh, along with, you know, uh, Wall Street Journal and New York Times, which I was watching as well pretty closely on their websites. But reasonably well, so. They, they, they kind of have to because they are the, these pillars of we're not going to we're Well, not they screwed screw up before. Up. They, yeah, they, they couldn't. We have, mean, we have no reason to screw this up. We don't need to, uh, because what we're doing is going to be in print. They also, I, I have to say, the, I, I don't want to sound like Sarah Palin right now, but the, the quote-unquote mainstream media, or mainstream media, uh, the, that was part of the election that I really hated. I, I, this this to whole time, it's like they drew these, these, these things out that really didn't need yeah. to be just for the sake of keeping people's attention. I thought it was very irresponsible. Uh, it's one of the things that made people, you know, some people were, re especially in conservative places, some uh, Democrats were really fearful. I think maybe, you know, like it, it impacted to the point that it impacted their health. That stress that you felt on yeah. uh, on election day, it, they've been feeling for months. And that's just, it's not right to no, do that. No, I agree. I, and, and that's one of the conspiracy theories about mainstream media that I think actually has some legs, which is th there's there's a uh, institutional interest in keeping viewership afloat so they give a lot of time to, to non-stories and you know they don't ask something you know they don't ask a lot of questions about is this true they ask is this attack working you know that kind of thing and and it, it's de it definitely feeds the fear I mean as someone who spends all day online you know going from site to site checking on poll results and whatnot um, it, you know I had a d genuine feeling of dread that you know if I had just stuck with Nate and a few others, I you know, you would have felt like, eh, it's gonna, it'll be, it'll be just fine. I mean, I was genuinely, un, un, you know, concerned about what might happen on election day, and it turned out to be pretty much unfounded across the board. So well, lucky for you, congratulations! I'm very <laughs> happy things turned out for you. For those of you that didn't turn out quite the way you expected, there's an, there'll always be another another four years from now. Yep. And, 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 and I don't the, the party in power will overreach eventually. It happens every time. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and you know, it's also, it's also very worth noting that while, yes, it, it was a larger margin of victory than a lot of folks were predicting, it was definitely not a landslide uh, for the president anyway. Uh, he, he was given a, another chance. I don't think he was given permission to, to get buck wow, go crazy. <laughs> I uh, agree with that, but I also think that, that Socially, this this was a social mandate. This this was an absolute rejection of the fear mongering, the the anti women, the anti minority politics of the right. Um, not everybody on the right shares that, but enough of them did that it became their message. And I th I think that without a doubt, I mean, we have now 20, 20 sen women senators, which is the most ever. I mean, things like that are signs of I think permanent change. 
yeah. that's a good thing. I do too. I'm I'm very happy about that. Here's hoping. We'll see. All right. Well, let's let's move on. Uh, this this week's episode is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. Uh, we're going to take a little break, but when we return, we're going to keep talking about adrenaline and the ways we uh, embrace it or avoid it. Uh, we're going to live on the edge a little more with uh, Luke Pedalstead. Uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Denver Diatribe. That was the song, Now It's Your Turn to Be Out of My Mind by, apropos for the election, American Fuck Tape, <laughs> which is the side musical project of uh, Sid Pink, uh, who's been a guest on the podcast before at our live events. Uh, actually, it's the side project uh, where he has, I think Sid Pink is not really, that's, that's an alter ego, right? Can we all agree Sid Pink is not really... Either that or he's got the coolest parents ever. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Right. Pinks. We'll, well have to look so, up the Pinks so let's, and let's ask let's presume <laughs> Sid, Sid is an alter ego. So this is the alter ego of his alter ego, uh, Anton Lamiral. Uh, <laughs> so the, the, uh, these guys are going to be playing. They have a live show on uh, the night of Black Friday, right after Thanksgiving, at the Gothic Theater. They're bringing back this semi-autobiographical rockeretta... <laughs> <laughs> called The Yellow Machine. Uh, it's going to be uh, featuring the opening act, uh, Tom Collins, you know, the gritty jazz rock band. And it's being produced by Kyle Jones, uh, who is the producer of uh, Fight With Tools, the Flowbots album, the, the great Flowbots album. Uh, and it's it's starring Sid Pink, uh, his, his alter ego, and he promises it's going to be a little bit Alice Cooper, a little bit Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and, and with a... a a kiss of kiss thrown <laughs> in, if you will. So sounds pretty sounds pretty entertaining. Uh, definitely go check it out. Uh, Gothic Theater, November twenty third. Doors open at eight p.m. And I think Watercourse and Sidio City and Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Collective. A whole bunch of people are sponsoring it. So sounds people cool. are excited about this thing. And you have to watch the the little trailer they have for it, which is pretty hilarious. All right, moving on. Living on the edge. I so want to start singing Aerosmith <laughs> in the worst way, and I'm going to hold back and not do it. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you wrote this great feature for 5280 recently. Thank you. Uh, about uh, Colorado's obsession with adrenaline, uh, with, our, with the natural high of taking risks. And I just want to talk about it. I mean, this is, this is sort of my wheelhouse. Uh, we don't talk a lot of sports on the podcast, uh, but I'm, I'm obsessed with bikes and climbing and hiking and skiing and all those sorts of things. So I'm excited to have an excuse to talk about them in a, in a different context than, than usually just like, hey, dude, where'd you go this <laughs> So, uh, yeah, uh, tell us, how, how did you come up with the idea for the story? Well, I, I moved here six years ago from the Bay Area, um, and I have always, I'm an urban person. I, I, I hike a little bit. I bike a little bit, very casually. But um, I've never been like a run up the side of a mountain kind of a guy. Um, I was wholly unprepared for the way that the mountain culture dominates this region when I got here. I mean, in, in, in San Francisco, they have mountains. They have obviously plenty of outdoor recreation. But the mountains are about four hours away. When I got here, I, I was like, whoa, they're right there. You know, you, you can be up in the mountains in 25 minutes. And um, soon after arriving, you know, I mean, it's just, you, you can't escape it, obviously. I mean, Snea grab and, you know, lift tickets and, you know, every new season brings, you know, who's going to open first and who's going to close last. And it just, it just struck me as this uh, sort of overwhelming cultural factor that was alien to me completely yes. um, as a Nancy boy city kid. 
Um, so I, I started thinking, I've, I've actually been thinking about this, this idea for this package for three years at least, and we just finally got around to doing it. But um, I just wanted to find out what makes people like you tick. And so I, and, and you know, you read about so-and-so fell off a trail and died, or so-and-so got caught in an avalanche and died. And um, it made me wonder, what, you know, what's the human cost of this? Well, you know, and, I, and I wanted, that's why the, the essay in there that's from uh, Jamie Moy um, talks about, she, you know, she looked at families who were, who were left behind by somebody who was killed in some kind of an accident. And, um, you know, w th what was interesting, I think, is that um, if, you, if you have married a climber, if you have uh, married a, a, a skier who, who goes into out-of-bounds avalanche territory regularly, this is, it's, it's a reality you accept. And, and that's why I wanted to sort of put things in this article that were both sort of cautionary tales, but also a why we do it sort of thing. So, we, you know, we talked to uh, ultramarathoner Scott Jurek. Uh, we talked to uh, uh, Renan Ozturk, who yeah. I think I'm pronouncing that right, um, who's a, who's a well-known climber. And, you know, these people, after, after doing this, I get it a lot more than I did beforehand. Because beforehand, because I'm, I'm so outside of this world, um, I, I just didn't, you know, I felt like it's crazy, end of story. And, and, and now, <laughs> yeah, I, right. now I realize, oh, this is like a soul-fulfilling. It's not just a because it's there sort of I'm macho, going to be a, a guy who does this just because I'm, I'm going to prove myself, or a woman who does this because I'm going to prove myself. Yeah, although there's, that's definitely part of it, I think, for a lot of people. Um, when you, you know, Meg Feldman has an essay in there about a climbing accident she had and, and, and how that awakened her. I mean, she's very outdoorsy. She's a friend of mine. And, you know, she, she, I know she bikes and runs and hikes and, and skis and that kind of stuff. Um, but what it taught her was there are certain risks that she doesn't have to take, and that's okay. And, and so taken together, that's sort of what we were getting at is, is, you know, to give people an idea of the dangers that exist. Um, there are some, you know, servicey items about, you know, how to take care of yourself when you're doing these various activities. But then also to, you know, to sort of honor the motivations that go into it, the sincere, like I said, soul-fulfilling, uh, you know, kind of things that uh, suggest that some of us are just wired differently. Um, yeah. And, you know, so I'm not one of those people. Someone else might be, and good for them. I don't, I don't know if I am anymore. <laughs> I have, <laughs> Is that because you have kids? I have kids, yeah. The, the, the state of mortality has definitely kicked in big time right. for me uh, in a way that it never – it didn't exist in, the, in my 20s. And and I'm a I'm a transplant from the desert, so I was not I was not adjusted to this sort of lifestyle when I first moved here. Yeah, I liked the outdoors. I knew I loved Colorado the first time I set foot in the state, but uh, I was not fully prepared for how extreme folks get. Yeah, and I you know the one the one thing I you know you talked a lot about how folks sort of get uh, addicted to to the thrill uh, to a point to where they lose their good judgment in certain cases, uh, whereas other people seem to be, be able to handle it pretty well. But I, what I've also noticed, uh, because I, a lot of my friends are locals, is there, there's a habituation phase, too, where these, these are people that have been skiing since they were three years old. Mm -hmm. And so for them to actually go out and continue doing the things that they love and feel something, they have to keep pushing it keep pushing a little further, get a little steeper, do something a little stupider. And, and then the next thing you know, you've got people who are base jumping off of mountains uh, instead of just skiing, for the love of God. <laughs> Come on. You don't need to also jump out in a squirrel suit. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And, I mean, Vanessa, you grew up here in Colorado, but you grew up sort of... I grew up in, in, in the desert. In the desert. Yeah, I, you grew up in the desert where... You know, the camping thing, the outdoor thing is still there, but not so much this extreme sport. Well, it, was it there, too? I, I think it's interesting because it's not – where I grew up is, is very different. You know, it's more like uh, – people always say Pueblo is, is really a, a Rust Belt city in the wrong place, but uh, out of place. I, I think what we were talking about before, too, transplants have had a, a really immense impact on this image that we have. And a lot of it is people coming here – to ski more and to do these activities more, and I think they've been ratcheting, you know, they ratchet yeah. up a lot of notches that when I was growing up, honestly, I didn't see. I mean, yes, we, you know, everybody, I, I mean, at least I think most people go skiing. If you grew up in, like, you've, you've at least gone. I wasn't particularly good at it, so I didn't, you know, I didn't do it often, but um, it, it is something that you are acquainted with early in life, 
that doesn't mean it turns into an extreme sport, an extreme not for everyone uh, adrenaline rush for you. And I think um, so. I, so I don't necessarily think it's a it's innately in us that way. I think it it, it is. Uh, for some people, but I, I don't, I think there's more, it, it gets a lot of attention because we're all fascinated by it. Yeah. You know, and you, you and can't deny it is definitely a, a, uh, a very visible part of our culture. Absolutely. But I, I think of New Mexico in, in, a, in a lot of ways the same way. You look at, you know, we were talking, we actually, we didn't talk about Gary Johnson earlier, but we have talked about him. Oh, Gary, that's right. Your Gary favorite. Johnson, he did get 1% of the vote. But <laughs> Santa Fe <laughs> is very active. Uh, Gary Johnson is an extreme exam. I mean, yes, he, he, is. he is an an extreme adventure athlete, and uh, so I don't. I guess I, I see it as being it, you just. It's the access, right? Yeah. We have the access points. Well, and I think you would, if someone were to take the time to study, really drill down into the accidents. I bet you would find that m- most of them are. are happen with people who are less experienced taking stupid risks yes because i think you've, you've grown up here you, you know you've, you've been on skis since you were three whether or not you're you know you you turn out to be an adventurer you, you just have a feel for you know wh- what you should and shouldn't do and and um you've probably you know seen an avalanche or something like that at least and so you, you know what to avoid right yeah, yeah we I do grow up with the fear too or, or at least if you if you have the fear which uh, which I do. You you grow up hearing about these accidents all the time. Right. So you are more cautious and more careful. At least at least I always was. I've seen I've seen a, I've seen a lot of the of both. I've seen <laughs> I definitely have the friend who uh, he just doesn't seem to have an ounce of fear. He does now. He's he's had enough accidents. But at one point he was just stupid. He's a local kid and he would do these really idiotic things. Because he didn't have that sense of fear with within him, you know, and it took both arms in wrist casts and then getting caught in an avalanche on uh, on Mount Massive to to make him go, oh, I probably should <laughs> be a little smarter about all this. Well, I thought I, I loved Megan. So you were talking about Megan Feldman's yeah. um, essay. I, it spoke to me not because I identify with being um, it, having that adrenaline need but because i think i i probably had an experience that taught me not 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 something so uh extreme but something that taught me that lesson earlier on but she also talked about how you know as a reporter she she was reporting at one time from guatemala and there are other ways that we get this adrenaline i definitely um i I definitely identify with that there are there are certain circumstances they just happen to not be uh, in the outdoor adventure well, categories. Right. Your, your profession, <laughs> I mean, you, you, with the newspaper background and so forth, that, that's an adrenaline-fueled profession by and large. Um, and, yeah, it, I, and another thing that's in there is an interview with a psychiatrist who talks about, you know, when it crosses the line from enthusiasm to addiction. And, that, you know, it's basically repeating dangerous things over and over again and not learning your lesson. But, I, it, you know, there's there's a lot of research that suggests that we're just wired that way. So, so somebody... Something that is uh, inherently terrifying and restrictive to me, to, to even to someone like Meg, is going to be less less of a, a threat. And you know, um, it's just sort of how we're made up. And um, you know, the key is to realize that about yourself and re- you know react accordingly. I guess. Now, I noticed in the story you you focused uh, quite a bit on climbers. Um, yeah, which definitely a, a major. Uh, faction of climbers here in Colorado, but they're they're not as visible as say skiers or or hikers or right. the ultra marathoners are. Uh, is there a particular reason why you decided to go with uh, um, the, the climbers? It, I mean, narratively speaking, they're just the more inherently dramatic stories. I mean, you know, clinging to the side of a yes, mountain in a blizzard and you know not sure if you can go up or down and and um, and it you know some of that was uh, just where the best stories were. Um, but the, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is. Uh, by far the most accidents that uh, result in injuries or fatalities come from hiking. But who wants to read a hike? You know, oh, then I, then I <laughs> yeah. fell off the trail. You know? <laughs> and then, then the next guy came, and then he fell off the trail. I mean, you know, you can't, you can only do so much of that, narratively speaking. So the climbing stuff was far more compelling, and you know, that, it, it has the sort of in, in in the pop culture mind, you know, Everest because it's there, and you know that kind of stuff. And so th- that's just where the good stories were. You know, that brings something up too to mind. Though I I I, I do hike. I don't do, I mean, I, I'm not out hiking every day, of course, but I, I enjoy it, and I've always done it. I've never considered it 
something that would be so dangerous. But then when I read those statistics, I, I was really surprised. Yeah. I, I like all of the stats in the package. I, li yeah, I like reading lot, numbers. And <laughs> yeah, I'm ruining, I'm ruining everybody's fun. I'm but sorry it, it, no, it is no, funny because you, it's also something that you don't realize that, you know, you're out there and I, I've realized what a dumbass I've been when I've hiked a lot of time. You know, it's like, how many times have I sprained an ankle because I'm just not paying? You know, you take for granted. You're right. like, oh, I don't need to pay attention. I'm on this part of the trail that's flat right now. And hiking and what's hiking possibly going to happen to me? Vans and a cotton T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> no what you water. do when you're a teenager. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, there's obviously, I mean, I can name, you know, it's, it's hilarious because you don't see, you're seemingly not in a dangerous situation, but you really are. I mean, if something, you know, if you're out by yourself and a lot of people do hike by themselves because they get so comfortable with it. And if you were to fall and you didn't tell anybody where you were going and you couldn't get up because you broke your ankle or you did some, I don't know. I mean, yeah, or even, a if lot you, of even if you did tell them, if you're, if you're a certain number of miles out there with a, with a sprained ankle and you know, you're stuck. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so that it, it makes a lot of sense. It really does. It's a, you know, after all of it, I'm like, yeah, I've done, <laughs> I've done some really dumb things. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> me too. That's also, you know, I have the kids that, that make me suddenly realize I'm going to die someday and I don't want it to be today. <laughs> uh, there's that. But there's also, I've, you know, I've had injuries. I've had accidents. I don't leave the ground anymore because I sprained my spine. I, when I'm skiing, I don't like to leave the ground. I don't care if you can jump. Good for you. I no longer have that, that sense that I have to compete. Which, you know, is a bit another big part of what's going on here in Colorado is I think there's there's a very competitive spirit, too. People want to not not just push themselves further, but also be, like like I said with the election stuff, uh, with Amendment 64, we want to be first. We want to be the ones that first ascended this. We want to be the ones that did this, uh, this thing that nobody else has done. Or we want to beat somebody else in our small circle of friends. But... Uh, do you think do you think it's a be a large enough issue here in Colorado that it's it's almost a public health crisis for us? Um, I wouldn't say it's gotten to that point yet. I mean, you know, it like anything else that might be threatening to your health. I mean, just a, a bit of awareness goes a long way. And I mean, that's what I was trying to accomplish with the stats and so forth. It's just to, just to have people think, like anyone who opened it and thought, ah, this is you know, I, I'm in no danger. Then reads through it and goes, oh, maybe I am in a little bit of danger. Next time I'll do this differently. I'll you know, like for hiking, I'll I'll tell somebody where I'm going more often. That kind of thing. Um, and I, you know, I, the, the, the notion of being first, I think is never going to change. I think it's what makes Colorado really cool, um, in many ways, not just, uh, outdoor sports, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, hopefully it, it, I think that the, the people up in the mountains that handle the search and rescue, that handle the mapping of trails and so forth, they, they're pros. I mean, they know what they're doing and, you know, they are the first people who would, you know, uh, advise caution really in any, in any circumstance because they don't want to have to go up and look for you, you know. Right. Um, so I, I think the people that uh, monitor all this stuff are, you know, err on the side of caution more often than not, even though they might themselves be extreme athletes. Yeah, interesting. I, I think, too, especially when, you know, my husband works at a ski resort. So it, knowing that I, I see what happens there, they're, they really do. They're very responsible with these Absolutely. things. Absolutely. You know, you get caught off trail. You're off the mountain. You're done. You know, I mean, yeah, you can go back eventually, but you you really you get in trouble. Yeah. Yep. So uh, so I think there are. Yeah. Like you said, there's the people who are uh, there. Are, there's a lot of responsible uh business owners, I guess, in, in many ways. When you go to an outdoor store to buy something, they're very, it's a, a lot of this is about education. Definitely. Take a class, uh, here's how you use this, and they make sure, you know, I think I think we're really good about that. Yeah, and there are, there are groups like uh, Friends of Bertha Pass uh, who will put on very cheap, uh, we're talking $10 avalanche classi classes. So if, you, if you're the sort of person that goes in the backcountry, there's no excuse to not be educated on it. There's a little book called Snow Sense. Read it. It's yeah. not. It's not hard. And get the gear and make sure you're going with somebody that knows what they're doing. I mean, do you have any other uh, final parting, uh, not necessarily uh, cautionary tales, but advice for folks who they they feel like they've got this bug in them, but they're they know they're right on the edge of doing something stupid. Uh, well, the, fir <laughs> the first thing I would say is pick up the November issue of 5280 on, hey! on newsstands now. <laughs> Plug, uh, plug. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, that's it's. I think what it is is taking an extra beat or two to think, is what I'm about to do the right thing, and am I doing it correctly? I mean, and you know, sure, I I don't think that's. I mean, 
not to draw a crude analogy here, but it's sort of like that's why you put the condom on before you have sex. Yes, you know? no, it's a great analogy. Uh, so it's, you know, if you think that way, you're just going to save yourself a lot of problems. Awesome. Okay. And also, folks, term life insurance, not that expensive. <laughs> you can do it. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's move on to love and hates. Uh, Vanessa, you ready? You got something for us? I do. Um, I'm going to give some love this week to two projects uh, from the Colorado Foundation and the Piton Foundation. <coughs> one of them is floodlight.org. The other one is dataengine.org. These two projects just launched in the last two weeks, and they are both the result of some Knight Foundation funding, which is a very large foundation that gives money to uh, media and journalism projects. Both of these are uh, really exciting. They're going to be fun for everybody to play with. So Data Engine allows you to upload data sets into um, its full database, and, and Floodlight allows you to uh, use that data and turn it into stories. So uh, you can map all kinds of data across the state of Colorado. I, I sense just from the demo that they did, a lot of this and a lot of the outreach that they're going to be doing is going to be based here in Denver. But the map is of Colorado. So, um, for example, teen pregnancy rate statistics, all of the election stats that we just have that come out. So there will be census numbers in, and some of those data sets are already in there. But um, two really fun tools to start playing with, and I think uh, we'll probably be talking about them a little bit more on the diatribe because I think the diatribe might want to use them We're too. We're going to start mining that data <laughs> like crazy. We're going to stake our claim. All right, cool. Luke. Uh, if I could straddle the fence here, uh, the, uh, there's a, the thing I'm not sure whether to love or hate is 2A. We didn't talk about that in the newsy bits. Oh, yeah, 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 um, right, right. So it's, it's this, I don't fully understand it. I'm the hoping somebody can clarify it for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea of debrucing to an extent. I mean, because I think the, the blind resistance to all taxes under all circumstances is really short-sighted and, and not a good thing for our society at large. However, this thing seems like, it happened too quickly. Like it, it, it wasn't fully formed before they put it on the ballot. One of the things that's uh, of a great concern, I think, to some people at least, is small business owners, because of the way the ratios are for property tax for homeowners versus business owners. Yes. Small business owners are concerned that they're going to get uh, priced out of rents for their businesses because the landlords will pass on these additional things to them. Um, this is a fear. I'm not sure that this is a founded fear, but it's just something that I don't fully understand about two way. So that's where I am on the love and hate thing with that. Okay. Yeah, love, love and hate for 2A. I, I, yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, because it, it the, the language was pretty vague. Yeah, and I mean, maybe, maybe once this podcast goes up, people can comment and sort of explain it a little bit because... Luke, you, you are invited back on this podcast <laughs> awesome. every week just to ask people to comment. Well, I think we could also, we, we need, once the, uh, you know, maybe more information comes out, I think we'll, we'll want to talk about success. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking about it again as it, as it fleshes out. I want to love on something that normally I would hate. Uh-oh. I want to love on uh, Mayor Michael Hancock, this, this, uh, this thing he's doing right now. He's, he's on this crusade of doing things for the first time. <coughs> he For Denver Beer Week, he brewed beer at Denver Beer Company uh, for the very first time. For Denver Arts Week, he sat at a potter's wheel and he did he made some pottery. I love, I, I don't know why, but I complete, I know it's, com it's total politician showboatery, but I completely love this. I totally love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's great to see uh, a mayor sort of challenging himself and trying new things uh, as a role model for the rest of the city. And it's also just really funny to imagine the other things he's going to do <laughs> in, the coming, in the coming years uh, as he's trying to continue this whole, you know, Michael Hancock tried something new. Well, you, 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 we posted this question to some. Oh, I've hashtagged it. Yeah. I, yeah. What are some of the things? What were your favorites that you? Uh, folks immediately said he should try medical marijuana. Um, if he wants to try something new, somebody said that he could try not kowtowing to corporate interests. <laughs> which I he he could try good. getting faster X finished or the stock show <laughs> resolved or. Yeah. Yeah, th there's no there's no shortage. There were, there were people saying he he should you know do a do a painting, uh, take a painting class, take a cooking class, all the all these pretty amusing things. It, it just sort of pick whatever event. I I was thinking he should uh, dress up as a float for the light parade. I, that would be fun. I, well, I saw it on Halloween, so I said paranormal investigation. Yes, paran uh, paranormal investigation. He should he should. I want to see him ghost bust. 
see him actually ghost Ghostbusters. Bust. Yeah. Which which ghost <laughs> should he bust? This is the question. I, I read in Westward there's some at the Gilpin County Jail, so There you go. Get All up right. to Blackhawk. Mayor Mayor Hancock. <laughs> Rhymed. Hey, I didn't mean for that to happen. I have to make a correction. Oh, okay. Or, as long as you're done. Are you done with no, your let's love and hate? Do it. I'm I sorry. I love corrections because otherwise Jared's going to come back and he'll do them later. Yeah, okay. Good. Well, he, he might not catch this one, though. I just gave um, bad webs, web address information for, the, for my two loves. So, Colorado Data, data Engine is um, codataengine.org and Floodlight is floodlightproject.org. So okay. There we go. And we'll, we'll post those links on the website as well. All right. Well, that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Our theme music is by TJ Miller from his extended play EP, and our web hosting is provided by bluechannel.com. For more information about Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, denverdiatribe.com or search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter or Facebook. I'm on. I'm Ron Doyle on behalf of Vanessa Martinez and Luke Kettlestead. Uh, thanks for listening. Haven't you heard the birds at the words Denver? High average income, roll like big spenders. Affordable housing, good money lenders. Low obesity, no need for suspenders.